This is Just the Right Book, and I'm Roxanne Cody of R.J. Julia Booksellers. Each week, I hope to bring to you the stories behind the books, talking with some of the very best contemporary nonfiction authors, books that are timeless and charming, provocative and of the moment. The conversations you want to hear about the books you need to read. This is Roxanne Cody, and welcome to Just the Right Book Shorts. Billy Goldstein and I, who's an author and NBC book critic, talk about books old and new and give you some ideas. It's quick, it's short. You can listen to it while you're walking, if you're like me and walk under 20 minutes or on your bike or whatever you're doing. So I'm going to start with a book that was also a podcast interview that I did with the author, whose name is Judy Batalon. And the name of the book is called The Light of Days, The Untold Story of Women Resistance Fighters in Hitler's Ghettos. When I read this book, I just could not get over the bravery of these young women. They were predominantly Polish women. And because Jewish-Polish women did not go into the yeshivas, which the boys did, their accents were very much in the Polish dialect, and they had a lot of familiarity with Polish culture. Anyway, they did, you know, they were risking their life every day. And the way that Judy tells these stories, your jaw just drops that they could actually be real. And she follows the ones who survived into contemporary times. It's just a brilliant, brilliant book. And Judy is just a wonderful writer. And what I realized when I was seeing that this showed up, so this book's been out for a while and it's on the Wall Street Journal's nonfiction number one ebook, which I thought, okay, you know, it made me think about like what drives a book to all of a sudden show up like that. And one of the things I'm curious about and excited about is there's a young reader's edition. And I can't imagine a book, well, I can imagine a book that could do what this does, which is for a young reader, it would give you just an extraordinary glimpse of history and be inspiring about what women can accomplish and what people are brave enough to do. So I was excited to see it at the number one Wall Street Journal nonfiction ebook. I don't know what the hell drove it to get up there, but -hmm. it's a good reminder for anybody to read that's interested in World War II and bravery and women taking extraordinary steps or just people who enjoy history with a very strong storytelling element. So I was happy to share that and people could listen to the podcast is like another seduction to read the whole book. Well, God, I, not only do you make me want to read it, as, as I, I love doing the podcast with you because I learn about all these books I don't know about. You, you think in our shared business that we hear about so many books more than we'll ever have a chance to read or that we know about everything that's really being published. And then you are constantly telling me about things I don't know about and making me want to read them. But the phenomenon of what makes a particular book successful, often belatedly, to me is just endlessly fascinating. So as an example also of that, it's it's so interesting to hear about. Yeah. All right, Billy, what do you got? 
Well, thank you. Uh, I want to talk about Onlookers, which is the new collection of stories by Anne Beatty, who is a writer I had not read for a while, I'm ashamed to say, because I have loved so many of her books and I have read many of them, her novels and her short stories. She's probably most famous, I think, for her book, Chilly Scenes of Winter, which was her first novel, and uh, that was published in the 70s. And then, uh, as a complete aside, made into a fantastic movie by Joan Micklin Silver with John Hurd and Gloria Graham. It's just a magnificent movie. If you if you uh, are looking for something and you don't want to read a book, watch the movie Chilly Scenes of Winter. But Onlookers is her new book of short stories. It's six stories set in Charlottesville, Virginia, where she teaches or or did teach uh, for a long time without dating myself precisely. I will say that when I worked at Publishers Weekly, um, I went down to Charlottesville to interview her at her house there, which to me remains one of the most exciting days of my life, just, just to meet her. And so here in this book, Onlookers, a lot of it is set, the sort of central action of the short stories is the 2017 rally there, white supremacist rally, and then the aftermath of that. But what's so fantastic about this book is, and and they're not interlinked short stories. So you are reading six different stories set in the same time with a lot of the same concerns among the people, but also she takes a jaundiced view of her characters as well as a sympathetic view. So you get a range of uh, political opinions. I mean, there are people on the right, there are people on the left. They're they're all self-conscious in one way or another about their changing times, their changing lives, uh, how to respond to these crises. And also, as heavy as I'm now making it sound, there's also a great deal of humor because the emphasis is always on the personal relationships of people. And I just wanted to read uh, the first sentence of the first short story because I think it will give you a sense of how people's personal relationships are always strange. I mean, any novel about personal relationships is going to show how odd those are, but also the times that we are living in and the times that those characters are living in, even though it's only uh, six years ago. Definitely not the strangest situation, but somewhat unusual. It's about a woman who's living with her fiance's father. And of course, we get all of that (laughs) personal detail. Uh, But then, as I say, it ranges also into the political, but never in any kind of didactic way. It's always the way politics and plays out in conversation, in people's muddled feelings. And Anne Beatty is a great writer, one of the great short story writers as well as novelists of, of the past 50 years. So uh, so I urge people to read Onlookers. And also, I realize now as I'm speaking that the, the title itself is so revelatory because people are living their lives and they're also onlookers in their own lives and also in the lives around them. So, Billy, I want to ask you one quick question. You had mentioned that you haven't read and Beatty in a while, and neither have I. So I'm curious why we haven't, because 
Is it because she hasn't published? Is it because she got lost in the shuffle? Is it because she her books were ebbing and now she's flowing? Do you have any observation? Because I do, as I'm listening to you, I think, God, I used to like wait with bated breath for one of her books to come out. And then I don't think I paid any attention. I was surprised myself at how long it had been since I had read a book by her. And I think she has been as productive as ever. I think, I mean, when I look at the list of the the number of books she's published, I think she has always been publishing. And I think I had thought of her mistakenly as a writer who I had loved and I just, I somehow didn't keep up. I mean, I, I, sometimes I think a writer's productivity, I mean, and she, I mean, it's not like she's Joyce Carol Oates, but, uh, you know, sometimes you're just not in the mood to read that person's next book yet. And then you fall behind and then it falls off radar and then something provokes you into doing it. I remember into to rediscovering them. And one of the things I'm looking at the title and it may be a clue, I don't know, is one of her books, more recent books, is called Mrs. Nixon, A Novelist Imagines a Life. And it's a book about Pat Nixon. And I remember being so excited to read that because I've always been interested in Watergate and the Nixons. And I one of my favorite books is Tom Mallon's, Thomas Mallon's Watergate, which is a reimagining of all of those characters. And I, I didn't really care for Mrs. Nixon by Ann Beatty. And I think that just sort of made me less excited somehow. And what a mistake. I've often said this about writers because people ask this question so often about, is so-and-so's new book worth reading? Mm -hmm. And I'm always torn because not every book by an author can be better than the previous one. Not every book can be a masterpiece. And so it depends on how interested you are in that writer's worldview. And uh, I should I should have kept up on Ann Beatty is what I'm saying. So I want to uh, veer into a topic and incidentally mention a book. So what has been in the news a lot is book banning. Uh, there was an article in by A.O. Scott in the New York Times. We've obviously been reading headlines about laws passed in Florida and Texas and one parent being able to ban a book that seems to be focused on books that are uh, within the LBGTQ category or trans category or about race. So there was a op-ed piece in the Times called We Need Fiction That Disturbs Us by Ruth Franklin. And the book that's coming out reminded me of the importance of this. So there's a new book coming out by Jasmine Ward who is a two-time National Book Award winner. She might best be known for Sing, Unburied Sing. She has a book coming out this fall that I started, and the title of the new book is Let Us Descend. 
And her book, her other books have been based in contemporary times. This is based in the pre-Civil War period. I started this book and I was so carried away and disturbed because what she does is almost re-envision slavery in this in this regard. The story is about a daughter who's sold away from the plantation that her mother is at and whose master is her father, you know, in ways that often happen there. But what she does in this story, the main character, Anise, keeps the memory of her mother and her grandmother as a way of retaining a sense of self and in a way of preserving a sense of hope. So I can't, I, I can't wait to get back to this book because I was almost annoyed that I had to get to other <laughs> books and, and put this one down. But I can imagine people saying, yeah, oh God, another book about slavery. I've already read a book or too many books about slavery. And when I read this piece about we need fiction that disturbs us, I thought, okay, I do like a lot of those books. And what is it about those books that we think are so critical to our being the best human beings that we can be? So, Billy, how how do you think about both the book banding and the idea of reading books that just disturb us? Well, first of all, you uh, once again have made me want to read. <laughs> just well, I have, I have the book, I have the galley, but I've not read it yet. So, so thank you uh, in your continuing reawakening of my desire to read when we, when we talk. I think that the essay that you're talking about, uh, Ruth Ruth Franklin's, was published on the 75th anniversary of the publication of Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, the short story that I think. I assume alarmed all of us, alarmed all of us. And uh, I haven't read it in a long time, but it's one of the things you read in school. I read it in school that you never forget. I mean, everybody who has ever read the lottery knows that story. And Ruth Franklin wrote a biography of Shirley Jackson. So the, the reading something that disturbs us, I think is so important that, that, I mean, of course, you remember books you loved because they were fun, beautiful, lovely, what, you know, a million reasons nonfiction and fiction stays memorable. But the shock of reading and what reading can do to you almost as a physical experience, um, the physical experience of reading. The Lottery is a short story, but so many novels. I mean, you're talking about Jesmyn Ward's uh, new book. I mean, I suppose... It brings to mind a book like Beloved by Toni Morrison or The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead or Octavia Butler's novel Kindred. These books are a physical as well as mental experience. And I think, obviously, this is in plenty of other kinds of books. I mean, it doesn't have to be about, about slavery or even something particularly shocking and horrifying. I mean, just, you know, any marriage could be the, 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 the source of a, of, of a, of a novel that, that shocks you to the core in that way. I mean, I talked 
uh, on a recent podcast, I think the last one about Michael Cunningham's new novel, if you read The Hours, I mean, and the way it it shows uh, people's relationships to one another, the, the the relationship of the wife and husband in, in the 50s, in the Mrs. Brown segment, any book can have that that effect on you. And I think we read too narrowly if we think books are only enjoyable if they're kind of a pleasure or guilty pleasure. I mean, you know, that, that it's an escape. And, and I think that's, that's a mistake. I, I know that a lot of times, even when you read a fun book, people will say, Oh, you know, what are your guilty pleasures? And, and you realize that no book should be a guilty pleasure. Um, it doesn't, you can it should have, just be a pleasure. It should just be a pleasure. And I think the pleasure of shock is something that we underestimate. And the pleasure of being disturbed is something that we really underestimate in our reading. And it doesn't have to be the world of slavery. It can be, you know, you're shocked because the familiar world of of our own time and place or even your own social class or, you know, your own neighborhood, a novel about your own neighborhood could shock you. I suppose that goes back to Peyton Place. You know, people people read Peyton Place, you know, living in small towns and, and knew all that stuff was going on, but didn't know a book could encompass it. And so any book from uh, Peyton Place to Valley of the Dolls to something as meaningful as Beloved or the Underground Railroad can shock you on the page. And, you know, the other, the other, thank you for that. The other piece of this that I think is I mean, it's both easy to miss and so obvious, but tons of research have shown that when you know someone of a different political stripe or particular different sensibility or a different way of thinking of things or who identifies themselves in ways that are new to you, that you develop an understanding of that perspective that's different than thinking about that in isolation. And to me, reading these books that are disturbing or introduce you to people or experiences is a way of creating that empathy that you would develop if you knew that person. And I think it can't help that leave you more open-minded. I mean, there's research that people who read literary fiction are actually more empathetic. So, you know, we don't have time in this episode to be talking about where we think book banning will go, but I do think it's a just shockingly disturbing, speaking of disturbing, notion to think that somebody's going to be editing what we read on the right or the left, you know, not wanting right-wing speakers at campuses or or their books in the libraries there is as bad as the banning that we most naturally might be offended by. So we'll continue this conversation. I urge everybody to pay attention in their states to what this really looks like, because a lot of the book banning is going on at a very local uh, level. And it's pretty simple to say that this is a disturbing trend for somebody to decide, because at the end of the day, if everybody has the right to ban a book, all books are going to be banned. You know, it's just the, right. it, they'll all be gone because somebody's got something they're offended by in, in almost any book that's probably out there. So I'm sorry we just gave this short shrift, <laughs> uh, but it will be, it will continue to be a conversation 
as we watch how this evolves over the coming year or years. So you've been listening to Just the Right Book Shorts, my conversations with Billy Goldstein, who's a book critic and author of his own uh, renowned. Uh, I encourage you to write to us at podcast at rjjoya.com with any suggestions, observations. You can, you know, praise us. You can yell at us. You can do whatever uh, you want. Follow us on Instagram. And you can always find the books uh, that we're discussing in case you're driving or running and don't have a pen and are frustrated. If you go to rjjoya.com, podcasts. It'll list all the books that we talked about. So thank you so much for listening. Billy and I have fun doing this. Hopefully you enjoy listening and we'll see you next time and happy reading. You are listening to Just the Right Book with Roxanne Cody brought to you by Lit Hub Radio. The show is produced by Roxanne Cody, Michael Selleck, and Lit Hub Radio. Our editor is Gino Cardone at Pleasant Podcast. The original theme music is by Kurt Feldman. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I am Roxanne Cody. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have any comments, observations, suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at justtherightbook at rjjulia.com.